Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Hear from the experts, including media covering upcoming opponents in the ACC, former Georgia Tech letter winners, and the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network crew. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. And welcome inside another episode after a bye week in which the Yellow Jackets had a chance to lick their wounds and get set for a difficult second half of the season. We are now getting prepared for Georgia Tech against Virginia Tech, uh, one of my favorite games on the schedule. And to get things started here on this From the Flats episode, we're joined by the Virginia Tech Hokie beat writer of the Roanoke Times. That'd be Mike Nizalek. And Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Looking forward to... Uh... This one, I think it means a lot to both teams this season. No question about that. And, Mike, this is your first year as the Hokie beat writer, and it's been a difficult first half of the season to try and summarize, hasn't it? It's been three road conference victories, 3-0 and in the ACC, but a difficult, frustrating loss to Notre Dame at home a couple of weeks back and an inexplicable loss at Old Dominion. How do you sum up this season for Virginia Tech thus far? Well, I think youth, I think, has a big part of it, inexperience. Uh, you know, they talked about the defense having eight new starters. Then they lost one of the guys that was coming back because they dismissed him from the team. You lose your starting quarterback uh, in that old Dominion game. Uh, and, and you go to Ryan Willis, a guy that has experience. Uh, but there's been some adjustments. Um, but it has been wild. I mean, there's no question, like, when you look at what's left, uh, would I be surprised if they were in the, the ACC championship game? Not really. Would I be surprised if they had a, that game against Virginia is for bowl eligibility? Again, not really. So it's I don't think you could say, you know, this. there's a clear path forward as far as what team's going to show up in the second half. I think, uh, you know, you talk about those three road wins. That's always impressive to have on your resume. But then you have the equally shocking thing of that Old Dominion loss. So it's a really strange season. And uh, Coach Fuentes admitted that this has been sort of one of the weirdest sort of six weeks he's had as a coach. Well, the headline, of course, uh, comparing this year's team to last year's team, obviously is the inexperience on defense. When it comes to defending Georgia Tech, who's a key player that Georgia Tech fans ought to keep their eye out for as far as disrupting what Georgia Tech tries to do offensively? Well, I think Ricky Walker's the guy right, right away. I wrote that just uh, a little bit ago that they talked about Defensive tackle against Georgia Tech is probably the most important position, and Ricky Walker has the most experience. He's kind of the impact guy. When you go back through the last couple of weeks of ACC coaches, and they're all like, look, number eight, even though his stats sort of don't pop out at you, he only has half a second and three tackles for a loss. He's the guy that you see all over the film, and that's kind of how Virginia Tech coaches look at it as well. He's the guy that you know eats up double teams and creates – uh, holes in that uh, for, for other guys to make plays, even when he's not. And uh, he needs to have a big game. He's a senior. Uh, you know, he's he's the guy, I think, right now where you look and talk about stabilizing a, a, this defense, you know, and fighting through that inexperience this week. He needs to kind of show up and show up right from the start. On the other side of the ball for Virginia Tech, if you told me that Josh Jackson was going to go down uh, on September 22nd and be out indefinitely, I would have thought, well, Virginia Tech's ship is sunk. But Boy, Ryan Willis has really stood up, and, and I know Virginia Tech hasn't gotten as much out of their running game as they would have liked, but Willis, he showed time and time again, he's, he's capable of putting up pretty good numbers and and getting Virginia Tech down the field, most notably in crunch time against Carolina a couple weeks ago. What was your impression of him 
uh, as he took over as a starter in late September, and how has it changed now that we're a month in? Well, I think it was, you know, they, they got some young quarterbacks on the roster, and I think it's telling that Willis kind of easily, I think, was that second guy. His arm is – that's never been a question. He has a really strong arm, really good arm, can make all the throws. Uh, that's never been sort of the issue for him. Didn't have a great situation in Kansas. Started 10 games, but I think that helped the staff here be comfortable with him kind of going. You know, when you put him in, there was no panic. That's been the good thing. The, uh, the, the downside for them – uh, Willis is more prone to, I think, a little more mistakes, trying to do too much. And you saw that again that second half, uh, in the first, even the first half when he made the fumble against Notre Dame, just trying to extend a play when all he had to do was, uh, you know, Coach Fonte would have been happy as if he just throw it away or just go down with the sack. And I think that's kind of the main issue with him, trying to play through some of the – there's going to be more ups and downs, I think, with, with, with him instead of Josh Jackson. But the upside is teams are going to have to watch out for the deep throw because he can make, I mean, he's really, he has a special, special arm. And I think you've seen that, that drive at the end of the game against North Carolina, where he's making those throws, uh, moving around and doing all sorts of crazy stuff to kind of get them down the field. Uh, but that's what he's capable of. That's his upside. Let's wrap up our conversation with this, Mike. I know it's your first year in Blacksburg, but over the course, over the past week and a half uh, since defeating Carolina and turning their attention to Georgia Tech, how often has the topic of, Georgia Tech winning three of the last four against Virginia Tech have uh, been discussed, whether it's among players, coaches, uh, even fans or readers. Uh, how much is that a part of the storyline from, from the Hokie perspective? Uh, more with the fans and I think the media. You know, we asked the question and uh, we asked, you know, when they had that extra off week because their game against East Carolina got canceled, uh, were they looking ahead to this game to try to get some extra prep in? And, and they said no. And I think the streak would be a bigger deal if more players, especially on the defensive side, had been here for it. I mean, uh, Ricky Walker, I think, is the only guy that started both of those losses for, you know, under uh, Coach Fuente. So, I mean, you're really talking about a whole different team. Ryan Willis wasn't, on, wasn't starting last year. He was on the scout team. So, I, I think it, for the, from the team perspective, it's really not a losing streak. It, it's more, I think, just going to be the uniqueness of playing this different offense. And, and that's sort of, I think, your biggest concern. It's not so much, hey, we've lost two in a row. I think it's, hey, most of this team's never faced this defense, this offense before, and that's going to be a challenge to get used to. And and I think that's kind of more of the concern and the focus of the coaching staff this week. But fans, certainly, you don't want to lose three in a row to any of your your, your rivals. And this is the only Coastal Division team Fuente hasn't beaten two years. Well, Mike, in defense of the media and guys like you and I, if we weren't talking about <laughs> it, nobody would. So we we got that's ask right, questions. absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, thanks again for your time. Uh, we look forward to seeing you up in Blacksburg on Thursday night. And, and uh, if, if you have an extra blanket at home, I wouldn't mind if you bring it uh, Thursday night in case I leave mine at home. <laughs> we will do. And it should be a good one. <laughs> Sounds good. I, it prime should be time, great. I think, I think it's going to be good. That's Mike Nizelik for the Roanoke Times. When we come back, we will speak with a member of that 2014 team that went up to Blacksburg and took one at the last moment against the Hokies at Lane Stadium. That's in this out of this break. This is the From the Flats podcast. 56-yarder, just like last week against Pittsburgh. Kick is blocked! Georgia Tech blocks it! The Jackets pick it up back in the 25, and Austin is returning it down the left oh side. Past the 50, past the 30. Inside the 20,
And we're now joined by a former Yellow Jacket letter winner, Trey Braun, native of Tallahassee, Florida, graduate of Georgia Tech with a mechanical engineering degree at the tail end of 2014 in the NBA program as a senior with the Yellow Jackets, part of that Orange Bowl uh, winning team in 2014. A lot of great memories on the flats. And uh, Trey, we're thrilled to have you here. And thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thrilled to be here. Well, Trey, can you tell us what you're up to now? Obviously, you concluded your career uh, at Bobby Dodd in 2015, and we're still in the NBA program when your football playing days ended. What's happened since then? Yeah, that's right. So I was about halfway done with my NBA uh, curriculum after I finished playing. I was already married, living in graduate housing over on 10th Street. I immediately after football ended, I took 18 hours in my MBA while I was training for a marathon and working to lose the playing weight. Uh, went through that, and in May of that year, I got hired on by AT&T in their technology development program. So I started working full-time as a design engineer for various networks within AT&T's vast system of networks uh, that are probably carrying the conversation we're having right now and carry various <laughs> conversations from phone to phone. Um, while I was doing that, I actually did run my marathon in Rome, Italy. That was a lot of fun. I switched apartments. I'm now living uh, in near Chastain Park, and that pretty much takes you to today. Well, fair enough. A great career on the flats, uh, part of that 2014 team that won the Orange Bowl, 11 total games that year. 34 starts in your career, but as you said, a mechanical engineering major. You didn't spend a whole lot of time flirting with the NFL or, or the idea of really chasing down that route. Uh, instead, you were able to uh, seem content to kind of hang up your cleats. Why was that? I know obviously for a lot of guys, it, it's, it's a tougher step to take, but you seemed almost to welcome it and say, okay, this chapter of my life is over, time to move forward. That's a good question. And I wouldn't say that I didn't spend a lot of time flirting with it. I just flirted very quietly. I often make decisions in a way that's fairly private and fairly internal. And when I make a decision, I try to follow that decision full steam ahead. So once I realized that okay, I took a realistic look at my prospects with the NFL and I took a realistic look with, in my prospects with uh, uh, going into the public sector, going into industry. And I realized that, you know, the prospects weren't that different. There was benefits in both areas. And that's something that Georgia Tech really helped me with is to build a prospect map out in just the regular world of working a nine to five job that was so attractive as to attract someone away from the prospects of playing in the NFL. So when I made that decision, I realized, okay, don't say that I'm giving up a future or, or I'm giving up a future in the NFL. I'm giving up a paycheck or anything like that. Go out and make those prospects in industry as attractive as they would have been if you played in the NFL. Uh, granted, the timeline's a little different for that $50 million contract, but, you know, I still have a long career ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're at the point where a lot of your teammates, a select few obviously still playing professionally, but many of them, whether by choice or, or by just a lack of opportunity, are probably having to make that tra transition away from playing football and more into the real world. Have you noticed that some of your teammates have had an easier time doing that than, say, other colleges or other uh, football programs? Now, I may be a little biased, but I think Georgia Tech is the best in the world at providing secondary prospects outside of football. 
And um, from what I've seen around the community of ex-football players and ex-athletes in general, there has been great success enjoyed by uh, people who did forego the NFL. They're really able to find not only just great personal opportunity, but great personal opportunity in a place like Atlanta, which does have so many different companies, so many different places where you can apply the skills that you were taught. When it comes to your playing career at Tech, as, as we're going to focus back on football, what is your favorite memory from your five years uh, wearing the white and gold? It's got to be the block and the shock. It's got to be the miracle on Techwood Drive, right? Is that how you say it? <laughs> I can't. I think I'm good with that. That moment stands out with so much clarity because there was no shock to me. When Lance picked up the football, I wasn't going, oh no, is he going to go down? Is he going to, what's going to happen? I wasn't even, I didn't even feel like he was going to make the kick. I, I knew we were going to win. So I think everyone else and, and myself as well assumed it was going to be a missed kick and then we go into overtime and win in overtime. So when Lance picked up the ball and started to run, the only thing that changed in my mind was the timeline of when we were going to win. And that is definitely one of the few moments in my life where things were playing on slow motion. And there's something about Georgia Tech that even when you have a bad season, you have special moments. And that's what I've always enjoyed about playing with Georgia Tech. It's all, it's, it's, I've been a part of uh, scrappy teams. I've been a part of amazing teams. Um, we always want to be the team that people regretted playing, whether, whether, they, uh, whether they won or lost against us. We wanted them to regret having to play us. And one thing I'll say to that point, I remember being part of close games, uh, the 2014 Georgia game, the 2015 Florida State game, the 2014 uh, Virginia Tech game. I never remember being nervous, but my wife is currently the head coach for Agnes Scott Volleyball, and I go and watch her games, and they will be up by eight, nine points, and I am just a nervous wreck. So I truly appreciate the fan experience because I cannot imagine how you fans go out every day, go out every week and watch those games. It nearly gives me a heart attack. I remember in 20, uh, 2016 watching the Georgia game in Athens. I do not know how I handled myself because it is so much more intense for me being in the stands than it was being on the sideline in terms of uh, nervous energy. Well, not to mention your brother putting together an impressive career in his own right, uh, all ACC preseason selection, uh, offensive lineman of the week a couple of weeks back. Everyone's well aware of what he can do on the football field. Trey, I'm curious, what is one thing that most Tech fans, if not all Tech fans, do not know about Parker Braun? <laughs> um, I probably don't know it either, to be honest. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's think of something. Parker, he's, he's a um, – he loves – the band The Smiths, and the solo career of their lead singer, Morrissey. No kidding. Okay, so where did, did you guys grow up listening to The Smiths, or, or where, did, where does that come from? Yeah, no, that comes straight from our dad. Well, Trey, thanks so much for your time, uh, and we look forward to hopefully having you down to the flats in a couple weeks when Tech's back in town against Miami. Absolutely, I'll be there. When we come back, we'll have Andy Metro and Sean Bedford give us their thoughts on this week's Tech versus Tech Thursday night matchup up in Blacksburg. 
Georgia Tech is a linebacker coiled up. They send the blitz and Trey Swilling hits him from behind. Bowles on the ground. Picked up by the Jackets. Corner blitz Trey Swilling. He got the rip. Kyle Serge Henderson got the scoop. And it's a second turnover forced by the Jackets in this first quarter. And that was one of the big defensive plays for Georgia Tech this past weekend. Trey Swilling with the sack fumble. We're now joined by the men who brought you Start to finish that defeat against Duke a couple weeks back, joined by Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford. And guys, you look at that game a week and a half ago against Duke, a 28-14 to loss. Hard not to pay attention to the final two minutes of the third quarter with those three consecutive fumbles that in some ways decided the game. But moving past that, I am curious, uh, with the offensive performance, especially in the first half, struggling on a third and fourth down with two yards or less to go. That was one trend we noticed in the opening quarters and something that Tech hadn't struggled with a whole lot this year. How much did the offensive's ineffectiveness uh, affect the outcome of that game compared to what we saw at the end of the third quarter? Well, I think it definitely had an effect because anytime you wind up in situations that are manageable, like that third and fourth down and short where all you have to do is go out, execute your assignment, get lower than the guy across from you and move the ball. Um, when you wind up not being able to capitalize on those and have to settle for uh, either punting or turning the ball over, you know, you're, you're wasting opportunities to put points on the board. And I think towards the end of the game, uh, even though Tech had a little bit more success moving the ball at times there in the second half, they were just, there was that, that feeling that they had lost out on opportunities earlier in the game to maybe have built a little bit of a lead and to seize momentum in the game. Um, but anytime you wind up in those third and fourth down situations, you know, as an offensive lineman, it, it kills me because those are the, the situations you live for to get down there and just blow the guy off the ball uh, across from you and, and just move the stick. So um, I think that did play a big factor in the loss. And the other impact it has is that when you get manhandled up front up like that, it just, it, it really is, demoralizing for the offense to feel like they can't get a yard when they absolutely have to. And I think as much as those third and short, fourth and shorts that Georgia Tech was erratic and converting, Sean, let's not forget about the chunk plays either. Because we talked coming in that Georgia Tech had the most runs of 20 or more yards in the nation entering that game. They only had four plays total of, of more than 10 yards. Uh, and so it, it was hard really to manufacture long sustained drives. And then when you add those negative plays, and some of the, the penalties that back Georgia tech up on offense, which were uh, gone and, and uh, you know, in the, the previous two games and felt like they'd cleaned up that area uh, th that could be kind of deflating in, in as far as trying to get uh, some momentum on offense. So we'll see if that can change. And, and the one thing guys that, Virginia Tech has been susceptible to, especially against Georgia Tech these last two years, is the explosive play. And we'll see if Georgia Tech, if the opportunity is there, if they can hit on them and seize momentum, subdue that Lane Stadium crowd, get those explosive plays, which are such momentum boosters on the road that they just couldn't rely upon in that Duke game. Andy, you just alluded to it, but Brad Stewart and Ricky June, both with long touchdown plays a year ago in the win over Virginia Tech. And as you said, Virginia Tech has got a young secondary. They've been susceptible to that. Uh, how encouraged were you guys by the passing performance last week uh, or a couple weeks ago? Brad Stewart with a key third down catch, Malachi Carter's first career touchdown. And uh, how important is that for Georgia Tech this week? I think it's important, especially when you're going up against any sort of defense like you're going to see with Virginia Tech, where they're going to be so fundamentally sound up front. 
where you know they're going to put eight in the box and dare you to pass, when you have that added dimension to your game, it totally changes how, how someone like Bud Foster has to defend you. And what was really impressive to me was that all happened. You know, the, the catches were not coming from Jalen Camp necessarily. It was you know, Malachi Carter getting his first touchdown catch, Brad Stewart stepping up and being that reliable go-to target. That to me showed that there is some depth in this receiving core of guys who can go out there and make plays when they're called upon. And that's something that these quarterbacks love to see. And, you know, one thing that impressed me, and I think we talked about this, Sean, on the broadcast two weeks ago, on some of those throws against Duke, Daquan was really spinning it. Uh, you know, the ball looked good and sharp coming out of his hand. And then there were some plays there in the fourth quarter where Tobias Oliver, under duress, was able to put it where he needed to put it uh, and give Georgia Tech an opportunity to extend a drive. And before we wrap up, guys, again, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, a meeting for the 16th time in the history of these two programs. A couple of those have been and our in-night games at Lane Stadium, 2010 and 2012 to be exact. And, Sean, you were on the field that night in 2010. I'm curious, when you enter an environment like this, uh, a lot is made of crowd noise, uh, I suppose, just in general. But what's an example of a specific situation Georgia Tech could find itself in that Virginia Tech's crowd could potentially affect uh, how the Yellow Jackets operate? Well, it most comes into play when you have a quarterback at the line of scrimmage trying to change the play based on something the defense has done. And one thing Bud Foster loves to do with his defenses is getting them to move around. Um, oftentimes, they'll, they'll play a similar front, but they might shift to the last minute. They might slant. They might do something at the last second right before the snap to try to confuse the offensive line. And when the quarterback sees them lined up a certain way, it's really important to be able to check at the line uh, and to get the offense in the right position. Against Louisville, Taquan Marshall did that masterfully. Um, there were some issues against Duke, but it's a lot harder when you're doing it in a stadium like Lane Stadium. And I can remember in that 2010 game, that is, uh, bar none, the loudest environment I've ever been in, to the point that I could barely hear Tevin Washington calling the snap count, calling the cadence right behind me, or for that matter, Morgan Uzi trying to communicate with him on some of our offensive line calls. And this is going back to something Andy said. The best way to get rid of that is to hit some of those big plays early on and just take that crowd completely out of it. And that's what I talked with Nathan Cottrell about this week for our pregame interview. He, he re recovered that fumble on the opening kickoff in 2016. And, and he said, look, we know that is so important is for us to get a takeaway or some big play early to sap the enthusiasm out of the crowd. That's not to say that the enthusiasm will completely go away, but you, Lane Stadium is always going to be at full roar, right at kickoff, after enter Sandman, and in those first couple of series. And you have to be able to weather that. And the best way you can do it is by robbing the home team of some momentum, whether that's with a turnover. And, and that's something that's going to be interesting, guys, because lost in the Duke game, Duke had only committed three turnovers all season. Georgia Tech forced three on them. Well, now they're facing Virginia Tech, which is fifth in the nation in fewest committed turnovers in six. And can Georgia Tech continue that ball hawking, which has been there consistently for them this last month? And Andy, to that point, you know, if you go back to the 2016 game, what ultimately made the difference in that game was big plays on special teams and defense. Those were the plays that really put Tech in a position to not only build a lead, but to stretch it out and ultimately put that game out of reach where Virginia Tech didn't have a chance to come back and you know, I remember being a little bit disappointed for you that you didn't get the full Lane Stadium experience on your first trip because it was silent as the tomb by, by the end of that game. I, don't, I hope to not get the full Lane Stadium experience my second time there either, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs>
Well, guys, we are just ready for a kickoff. Again, Toe Meets Leather at 7.30. That means you'll be able to hear Nathan Cottrell's interview as well as several other pregame features across our two-hour coverage, which will begin at 5.30 on the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network. Andy, Sean, thanks for your time, and travel safe at the Blacksburg. Look forward to seeing you guys there. Dress warm, Wiley. Oh, you know I will. Hand warmers out the wazoo. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Again, I look forward to having everyone tuned in. Thursday night, Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech, rivalry renewed in Blacksburg. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game day for live coverage and subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.